Our first reading comes from 1 Samuel 2, verse 18 to 20 and 26, which is page 260 of the Church Bibles. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would, would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favour with the Lord and with people. And our second reading comes from Luke 2, verses 41 to 52, which is on page 971 of the Church Bibles. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And as Jesus grew up, he increased in wisdom and in favour with God and the people. This is the word of God. Iona. Uh, so now Janine's going to come and speak to us. So if you'd like to come up and I will pray for you if that's okay. Lord, thank you for Janine, for the time that she has spent reading your word and preparing this for us. I pray that you would speak through her. Amen. Amen. Wow, it's an absolute privilege, um, slightly nerve-wracking privilege, but a real privilege to be speaking to you at the end of 2018. So for those of you that don't know, my name is Janine Kennedy, and I've been a member of Camborne Church for 12 years now. And actually, when I reflect on that, I reflect that even though, as you can see, I'm quite an old lady, <laughs> actually, I have, um, I'm an older woman, <laughs> but actually, I have grown up in this church, spiritually and as a Christian. Um, many people here have nurtured me, many people have held my hand, and um, many people have shown me um, how to become a disciple of Jesus. And so I have a great love for Camborne Church. I'm also um, currently in my third year of a foundation degree 
um, in theology, mission and evangelism, which I'm studying under the auspices of the Light Project, which is a project that was founded by Chris Duffett. And that has been the most um, extraordinary, unexpected journey for me personally. And if there's anyone here that would like to find out more about that, please do come and speak to me um, at the end, in fact, about anything that, that, I, that I say. But um, it's 2018 and it's drawing to a close. And I'm sure many of us will be reflecting on 2018 and also thinking forward to 2019. And part of that, for many of us, is New Year's resolutions. And um, I had a New Year's resolution in 2018. I had a long list of New Year's resolutions in 2018. One of them was to lose weight, and it didn't happen. <laughs> um, another one was to only buy secondhand things. So myself and my family were going to, um, you know, when the iron broke, we were going to try and fix it. And when the ironing board broke, we were going to take that to the garage and ask him to solder it. And we're only going to buy secondhand things, not underwear. Just want to be clear about that, not underwear. Um, but we bought those right at the beginning of the year. Um, and we managed, we managed, only for about six months, though. So actually, we failed. Um, but but, but it's, a, it's a time, isn't it, of, of thinking about New Year's resolutions. Does anyone here um, think about a, a New Year's resolution they had in 2018? Does anybody want to share one that maybe they were successful at? Was there anyone here who... Um, was success oh, I think there might be someone there who was, was successful in the New Year's resolution. Was there anyone? Anyone want to share theirs? Bart, you looked a bit like... No? No? <laughs> okay, there's no takers to share the New Year's resolutions. And, you know, I'm not really surprised, because actually when you look at the research on New Year's resolutions, guess how many people succeed? Only 9.2%. So only 9.2% of people actually succeed in their New Year's resolutions. And, and when I... Did you have one, Ian? Oh, so sorry, Ian. I made a New Year resolution five years ago, and I've kept it ever since. What was it? Not to make any more New Year resolutions. <laughs> He's stolen my sermon. <laughs> very good, very good. So, um, very good. <laughs> Let me just turn that off. <laughs> so, um, one of my New Year's resolutions um, when I was thinking about 2019 was to go plastic-free. I was looking at my bathroom. It's full of shampoo bottles and... And I was thinking, I'm going to go plastic-free. And um, so I bought, you're looking very curious, I bought some shampoo bars. I tell you, it doesn't do a lot for your hair. It makes it really static. Um, but I'm persevering. I've done research, and it says if you wash your hair for six months with this bar, it'll stop being static. So um, I might look like a Van de Graaff machine until the summer, but I'm doing my bit um, for, for 2019. But actually, um, when I... Uh, was reflecting on our two passages, our two wonderful passages this morning. Like Ian, it got me to rethink um, the concept of New Year's resolutions. Why are we setting ourselves up to fail every year if only 9.2% of people actually succeed in their New Year's aspirations? And I suppose my challenge for us this morning is in 2019, might we dare to intentionally stop, step into the immeasurably more life that God has for each and every one of us? Might we intentionally step into this immeasurably more life that Jesus taught us about? 
And I came across um, this quote from Francis Chan, who's an American pastor, um, and he writes a lot about uh, the Christian heart for love. And um, he said that one of our greatest fears should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. But it's succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. So let's make sure that any goals that we set ourselves in 2019 are the ones that really matter. Who's with me on this? Thank you. This is good. This is good. Okay. So let's turn to our Bible and let's really delve into what um, the Word is telling us about this. As Rachel said, it's really exciting to be um, launching the first in a series Um, this new series that we're looking at, which is really looking at Jesus' messiahship and his mission. And Jesus' messiahship means um, that he had the position, uh, he was ordained by God as the Messiah. It comes from the Hebrew uh, word meaning anointed one. Jesus was the saviour of the world. And mission relates to um, God's heart and active plan for all creation. So how was Jesus engaging with God's heart and active plan for all creation? And specifically, we're looking at the gospel passage in Luke. So who was Luke? Luke was an extraordinary evangelist. He wrote almost a quarter of the New Testament. And he was a very important witness to the Christian message and the development of the early church. And tradition has it that he even accompanied Paul on um, some of Paul's journeys. And even though himself he was not an eyewitness to the life of Jesus, he listened to the stories. And in um, many cases, he was the first person to commit many of those oral stories about the life of Jesus to paper. We know that he was most likely really well-educated and he was affluent And it's more remarkable then that Luke, given his affluence and his education, misses no opportunity to underline the responsibility and the danger of being wealthy and the need for generosity and to stress that Jesus came to bring the good news and to bring that good news first to the marginalized and the brokenhearted. Luke presents complex characters. They're neither all good or all bad. Rather, he presents the reality that each and every one of us is a sinner. So who is this Jesus that Luke understands? Who is this Jesus that Luke presents to us? And as Rachel said, we are still very much in the joy of the birth of Jesus, in the joy of Christmas. And we have been reflecting on the lowly beginnings of Jesus, born in a stable. And this is, the lowly beginnings is something that's really emphasized by Luke. He chooses to really focus the fact that it was the shepherds as the carriers of the good news of Jesus. The angel in Luke reveals himself to Mary and not to Joseph. Mary goes from some unheard of lowly girl to the future mother of a king, not just any king, the son of God, the Messiah. 
And God is going to bind his son with humanity through Mary. And if we look at Mary's song in Luke 1, it's a really beautiful description of how the reversal of Mary's own social status points of a greater upheaval to come. Through her son, God is going to bring down rulers from their throne and exalt the poor and humble. He is going to turn the whole world upside down. So we've already got that in the early parts in Luke. Luke is showing how God's kingdom is first revealed in the really dirty places, in the difficult places amongst the poor. Because Jesus is here to bring salvation by turning our world, our world order, upside down. So if we turn to our reading in Luke that Iona kindly read for us, what we learn is is that every year Mary and Joseph travelled with their relatives and friends to Jerusalem from Nazareth for the Passover festival, which we know was one of the most important Jewish festivals. This is possibly Jesus' first conscious travelling into Jerusalem. We know that he was 12 years old. And what we know is is that we don't actually have many accounts of Jesus' childhood. So this is a really significant passage. Luke explains that when Mary and Joseph began their journey home after the Passover, which would have lasted about a week, eight days, they travelled for a whole day without realising that Jesus wasn't with them. So they're travelling back from Jerusalem to Nazareth. They're with a really big group of friends and relatives who've all travelled together, as was the custom. And it might sound a bit shocking that you've mislaid your 12-year-old son. I have a 12-year-old son. It might sound a bit shocking that they've mislaid their 12-year-old son for almost a day. But actually, I think Mary and Joseph can be forgiven. They were in a really large group. He would have been with friends. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not unheard of for that to have happened. So obviously that doesn't minimise the shock, the pain, the the, the confusion, the ah, that they would have felt as they recognised that they had um, lost Jesus. And so they returned to Jerusalem and they searched. And it wasn't until the third day um, that they um, found Jesus. And if we... Oh, sorry. Thank you. And they found him sitting among the teachers in the temple. In verse 46, we read, listening to the rabbis and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Jesus showed, so they find him. So they go back to the temple, which is one of the, well, obviously the last place that they look. It's not the first place that they look. They weren't expecting to find him there. And they find him there. And when they find him, They see that he sat amongst some of the most eminent teachers and that all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers, at his ability to listen and the answers that he gave as a 12-year-old boy. So at this early stage in Jesus' life, he's showing a wisdom and a depth of understanding and discernment way beyond his years that is astonishing people. And Mary's first words when she sees Jesus in the temple is from the Message Bible. Child, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been half out of our minds looking for you. I think we can all imagine that we might say something like that. It might be a bit bluer than that. It might be a bit, you know, a bit more fraught than that. Um, 
perhaps what Mary's actually saying in her head is, your father and I did not survive angel visits, a birth in a manger, living like refugees in Egypt, only to have lost you in Jerusalem. She may have said something like that, or at least thought that. But what's so startling is, is that Jesus isn't the one who has lost. He knows who he is and where he belongs. Mary and Joseph are the ones who are lost. It could be perhaps symbolic that they found him on the third day. Is this a pointer to what is to come with the resurrection on the third day? Jesus, dead and buried, is raised on the third day, and there is a new temple, Christ's resurrected body, Our searching will come to an end in new life, meaningful life, the life God intends, but not the life we expect. Today's gospel is a story about growing up. Yes, there is an element of Mary and Joseph coming to terms with Jesus growing up. As all parents need to do, come to terms with their children growing up. But is this more about Mary and Joseph growing up? Is this more about you and me growing up? Growing up is not about how old we are. It's about moving into a deeper and more authentic relationship with God, with our world, with each other, and with ourselves. So his reply, Jesus' reply to Mary... To Mary's question shifts the focus from Mary and Joseph, who are all thinking, of, you know, about thinking about them. How could you do this to us? And he responds, "Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house?" And what I found really remarkable that even Jesus, the Son of God, needs to dwell in his father's house. How much more? then do we need to dwell in our Father's house? Mary and Joseph don't understand, and Jesus continues to show them both the utmost respect, despite his knowledge at such a young age of who he was. He knew he was the Son of God. He remained obedient to his parents, and he returned with them. And he was obedient to them. And he trained as a carpenter just like Joseph. And then if we move to the next section in the... I'm sorry. Um, And the bottom verse there is, and Jesus grew up. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. And this is our link to our passage from Samuel, which we heard. Because in Samuel, verse 26, from our reading... And the boy Samuel continued to grow up in stature and in favour with the Lord and with people. So there's a real echo here. And this is a real deliberate echo that Luke is making. Both boys, both Samuel and Jesus, were of the same age in these passages. They were both 12, and both are situated in the temple. The mother of both boys, Hannah, the mother of Samuel, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, conceived through God's intervention, and both must give their children up to the temple and to God. 
Mary's song and Hannah's song in Samuel and Mary's song in Luke 1 have real echoes of each other in terms of them coming from um, lowly beginnings and giving a place of honour. That turning world order upside down. Some of the key lessons from the book of Samuel are to look at God as... um, Some of the the key lessons from the book of Samuel look at God as opposing the proud and raising the humble. Despite human evil, God is at work. When we look in Samuel, we um, are introduced to Saul. And um, a key theme there is about examining um, his character flaws and, and, and perhaps looking at our own character flaws and looking at how our own character flaws impact ourselves in a harmful way and those around us, and how they prevent us from reaching our full potential. So there's this link between Hannah and Mary and between Jesus and Samuel. And as we continue to follow Luke's account of Jesus, as we will do as we continue with this series, we see a Messiah in Luke who is living a radically different life. Jesus was the Messiah that came to meet with the poor. And by poor, we're not just talking about wealth. We're not just talking about people who don't have access to enough money. It's about social status. By poor and poor of that day, we are including women, children, the sick, and people on the margins. Also, it's not just about... um, Also, surprisingly, it also includes people who have money, like tax collectors, because they were also on the margins. They were outsiders. And so Jesus came for them too. And a key theme in Luke is freedom. Jesus has come to set the oppressed free. Freedom is important to Jesus. Freeing people from their sickness. Freeing people from their past. From their shame. And freeing them to become part of the reality of God's kingdom. So in 2019, what are you going to choose to do? Are we going to choose to be lost like Mary and Joseph in this account? Or are we going to position ourselves where God wants us to be? Are we going to actively seek out the presence of Jesus in 2019? Are we going to actively seek to dwell in our Father's house in 2019? What does the house that you're dwelling in today look like? We are all in different seasons, and God is our strength in every season. But what needs to change in your life? How can we be part of turning this world order upside down? How are we going to live the life God intends, but perhaps not the life we expect? Last year, I responded to Jesus' gentle nudge to, I thought it was a gentle nudge. Um, The Holy Spirit might have probably thought he was nudging me for quite some time. I'm just a bit slow to cotton on. But um, I did respond to Jesus' gentle nudge. um, And for some time, he was giving me a key passage, which was to be still and know that I am God. And those of you that will have watched me to grow up will know that that would have been a huge challenge to me, to be still. And to know that I am God, to know that he is God. But I've responded to that, and I've made real changes in my life. I've made time to meditate um, and listen to God. 
um, Julie, many years ago, you may not remember, gave me a wonderful book about listening to God. And I'm finally doing that, Julie. <laughs> so thank you for sowing into my life. And, um, and this year, I've seen real fruit from that. And that's what I needed to do, to dwell in the house of Jesus, to dwell in the house of our Father. I needed to take time to hear from God, to not be involved in all the busyness all the time, but to take time to really reflect and discern with every encounter, what is Jesus teaching me? What is my role? How am I to reveal Jesus through my actions, through serving God? You may not be like me. You may be someone who's really contemplative and you've got that really sorted and you spend time dwelling in the presence of God. And I'm in awe of you. But perhaps you're someone who needs to be bold and you need to respond to the nudge of the Holy Spirit. Maybe he's nudging you to perhaps forgive someone that you haven't been able to forgive. Maybe he's nudging you to go and meet that really annoying neighbor that keeps cutting your hedge down and make friends with them. Maybe he's nudging you to step out in your church. Maybe he's nudging you to draw more people in to this church. Maybe he's nudging you in many, many, many ways. But let's take time in 2019 to listen and to respond. And as we reflect on the life of our church here in Camborne, We've all been on the most tremendous journey. And I think it's a journey inevitably towards maturity. But let's imagine what Camborne Church will be like if all of our New Year's resolution is to adopt the radical example set by Jesus into our daily lives, whatever that might look like for each of us. But with each encounter that we have, each encounter that comes our way that we are consciously collaborating with God to reach out to the lost and let's face it who isn't lost in this world to reach out to the brokenhearted to show love and compassion to one another and the marginalized and possibly one of the best or most listened to sermons of 2018 was Bishop's Curry, Bishop Curry's sermon wasn't it this year, at the marriage of um, Meghan and Harry, um, our royal highnesses. Probably, probably not very reverent then, I didn't mean that. don't know if you can say Meghan and Harry, but anyway, I just did. Um, so, um, but what um, Bishop Curry said was, someone once said that Jesus began the most revolutionary movement in human history. Someone once said that Jesus began the most revolutionary movement in human history, a movement grounded in the unconditional love of God for the world and a movement mandating people to live that love and in so doing to change not only their lives but the very life of the world itself. I'm talking about power, real power, power to change the world. And as Christians, we are all part of that movement it's deeply challenging, but just imagine if we all choose to dwell in the house of our Father and to live as Jesus lived, what we can do in this world in 2019. Thank you so much.